today's episode is going to be a good one. And I'm recording now, so this is how we're starting this, as casual as humanly possible. So what's up, Alex? What's up, buddy? It's good to see you. I tell you, during this um, quarantine, I feel almost like I've been seeing you too much, but I still like it. So not not we're we're, we're walking that line. Yeah, it's uh, man, and I'm doing just like you, like Zoom chats and live things and all kinds of crap scheduled. It's a good time. Trying I started out. real estate school this week, actually. Oh, how'd that go? I like how you uh, say real estate school and not like getting your license as an agent. So it sounds like you're taking just like this school to learn real estate because you don't know anything about it, which is super misleading, but I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I know what you mean. But uh, no, real estate uh, broker school, but I really, I don't know. It's like a necessary evil. I really don't care Yeah, that much about it. I don't want to be a broker. I've had uh, my license for two years now and not actively sold a house. Yeah. So, but we're just cruising along. We're gonna we're we're doing that. I'm doing a ton of content, ton of Zoom, like you have. Yeah. Um. And my buddy Spencer just crossed ten thousand subscribers on his YouTube channel, and he's getting paid like eight hundred dollars a month. And so yeah. And so he's been motivating me because I'm like, well, look, if Spencer can do it, then anybody can do it. <laughs> Um, and so now I'm say about me. So now, um, I don't even, I would, I don't have anything to come back with or I would, um, because everything I would normally come back with is already been said probably a million times. So, um, I do like to it. see that you've been, huh? I do like to see that you've been doing so many YouTube videos and it's also inspiring. So I hope anybody watching this, listening to this, I hope that they maybe have seen this and my, I'm trying to encourage people to do more content because now is the time to get practice out and people are consuming a lot more content. And so I'm glad to see you doing it and it's kind of inspired me to do more. So that's good. Yeah. I tried to plan out some stuff last night, like what we were talking about, but uh, work actually ended up requiring work. So I didn't get as much research done as I wanted, but I'll, I'll have another opportunity in a few days. I reached out. I, I've been doing this thing on Friday night. It's called, it's basically called better. I call it better drinking buddies. I got to find a new name for it. I'm going to call it something like Alex's zoom social or yeah, something, but I've been I, doing it. I accepted the invite. No, no, that's a different one. Oh. So Saturday night I have my little zoom social. That's going to be just like probably 20 people, like just a very casual thing. Um, but on Friday nights I've been doing it. Me and two other people just like deep dive on the economy. People that I know, not, not strangers, people that I already know that I can get along with and have a good conversation with and that it'll be dynamic on, on zoom. And so I've done, I've had Mindy Jensen on and I've had Russell Brazil on and a couple of my good friends from Vegas. And then on this Friday night, uh, excuse me, this Friday night to me, Russell Brazil and Justin Frazier. And hmm. then next Friday night, I locked my buddy Jay Mirando, a hot shot realtor out of Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, he won 40 under 40 uh, in 2018 and Jay Scott. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was thinking about reaching out to Jay about getting him on the podcast at some point. I'm reading uh, Recession Proof Real Estate right now. So, and and the big debt crisis and the power of paper and too many. Yeah, I don't know. I should probably focus, but it's like one book's at work, one book's on my desktop, and one book's on audio. So, yeah, it's fitting. Yeah. And then, of course, podcasts when I am allowed to finally jog here and there, which has been really, really nice. It's slow, but it's something which is great. Anyway, so who's our guest today? I'm going to let you bring it in. Our guest today, the one and only Scott Trent, CEO of Bigger Pockets and the author of Set for Life. Yeah. It's going to be a good, good one. Dude. 
Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a good. It's gonna be good. We got some. Uh, we'll see how they pan out. But we came up with some not stump the chump, but uh, different questions than what he normally gets asked. So it should be a good show for sure. Hopefully, uh, I don't. I don't know. We'll have to find a way. To, some of these, it's like, okay, how did we word this in such a way that we don't look like we're trying to piss people off, but still get a good answer? So should be should be some good times. Well, you can play nice guy. I'll say things. I was hoping to ask him some questions that would throw him off his game a little bit, but I also know that, you know, he's got a lot, he's busy. And so if you invite him on and then throw him under the bus, <laughs> you kind of ruin the invitation. So it's a, it's a balance because when you call, when I invite these people on the show, it's like, you, you want to invite, you want to, if you give them softballs, they're more likely to show up, but you know, what good is that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to find uh, contact information today. Not that I can make it happen, but if I can give you the gift of anything this year, I, I'm trying to get uh, contact info and reach out to Taleb. I know that there's no way he's going to want to jump on a show, but I thought that'd be fun. So I'm going to find a way. I'm going to email him. Get him um, on Twitter. Yeah, He'll never show up to the show. Oh, no. But he's been, so he has a club. he's been doing stuff for Bloomberg. And, you know, I mean, we're basically the same thing. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310's allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave from Military Millionaire, and I am here with Alex Felice and Mr. Scott Trench, the CEO of Bigger Pockets and author of Set for Life. And uh, as you can tell by our backdrops, if you're watching this on YouTube, all of us are quarantining, and uh, Scott has a mattress for sale. So uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Scott, welcome to the show, buddy. Six grand or best <laughs> offer. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, I'm happy to be here. Well, I, I doubt that anyone on the show doesn't know who you are, but 
would you give us a quick intro about yourself, a little bit about your background? Sure. Yeah. So I'm the uh, CEO and president of biggerpockets.com. I uh, co-host the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. I'm a big personal finance nerd. Um, really passionate about helping people build to financial freedom early in life, um, often through real estate, but really through whatever means necessary. Um, I think that when you achieve financial freedom early in life, it enables you to go on to uh, exploit your potential or maximize your potential in a way that's really positive for society. So I think it's a really good downstream effect that we're all as a community creating there. And then I've authored the book Set for Life, um, which is on a related topic there. Right on. Well, I am excited. So I first met Scott and I don't know why I didn't even bring this. Oh, it's because I let Alex introduce you in our little intro. I didn't even mention. Normally, Alex asks where I met people and I would have said like, on a random pillbox hike in Hawaii before you wrote a book and I had any idea who you were. And uh, instead I let Alex introduce you and I don't think that we said anything cool. So, um, but that is yeah. where we met and you're a fellow rugger. <laughs> I, that was it. That was what, that was what clicked was that Scott and I both played rugby at one point in our life. And, uh, at the time he was coming off an injury and I'm now broken. So I don't know that any of us play rugby. Well, no one plays rugby right now. We're all inside, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, neither here nor there. It's been fun to uh, get to know you over the last little while. And uh, it's cool that we can all come together in our awesome homes and talk. Yeah, well, we have. it's great that now that we have nothing else to do at all, we can finally find time for each other. <laughs> Dude, I'm going so deep into my Rolodex and the people that I haven't spoken to in a long, long time. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad I get to catch up with so-and-so. <laughs> Yeah, the video chats have been great with like, old friends. It's been wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so, Scott, you mentioned uh, that you're a finance nerd, and I'm curious how, since it's very applicable right now, is um, is the the current economic conditions? How badly is this going to affect the fire community? Um, my, I've had a, a complaint with or a criticism of the fire community with the the dogma of the four percent rule and how that doesn't uh, that doesn't really account for large variations. Uh, unexpected variations like, like sequence be, of return risk, like 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 would be in this book right here, the black swan. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, uh, to be uh, fair, you shared the video yesterday that this is not a black swan event and it was foreseeable. So I'm just going to throw that out there and mess up. It's your not question. a black swan event, but it, it well, it, this particular one isn't a black swan event. But I my complaint with the the my criticism of the dogma of the the fire community has been the four percent rule as a rule and not as uh, and a lot of they have the same problem that real estate investors have is that. Um, most, many of them have only been successful since the crash. And so they have literally the turkey problem. They are misassessing the, the amount of risk because they haven't been exposed to it. So I say all that to say is like, how do you think this is going to take a disproportionate hit to the fire community? Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll back up one second here. When, when I want to retire early, right? I need to amass a certain amount of wealth such that I can draw down on that portfolio indefinitely without running out of money right? So how much of that wealth can I draw down? Well, a bunch of smart people got together and they said, hey, if I have a portfolio of 50% bonds and 50% stocks, how, what, um, what is the safe withdrawal rate? How much, how much can I withdraw each year from that portfolio without depleting my entire reserve over a 30-year period? Right? And that's where the 4% rule derives from. It's a study called the Trinity Study, uh, prior work from uh, William Bengen. 
right? I'm probably butchering his name, right? I've only read it, <laughs> but but you know, th- like these these folks just studied that, and and when you look at how much you can withdraw, you can't like say, hey, my returns, my my average return over the next over the last thirty years has been eight percent. Therefore, I can withdraw eight percent, and I'm going to be fine, right? You have to use a number that's much lower than the average return that delete that. that to avoid depleting your portfolio, to take into account this phenomenon called sequence of returns risk, right? It's a big fancy word for saying, what happens if my portfolio drops immediately after I retire and I have to begin withdrawing from a smaller base right after that, right? Well, the entire point of the exercise of backtesting portfolios over every time period available in modern history, right, is to determine that number. And so the 4% rule absolutely takes into account for precisely the event that we're encountering right now. It takes into account sequence of returns risk. So that's number one. Number two, you know, the, the next problem you have with the 4% rule is, hey, after 30 years, the 4% rule is only looking at, do I run out of money entirely, right? But if you're in your 30s or 40s and you're retiring, you don't want to be left, you know, starting with a million and left with a hundred grand at the end of that 30-year period, right? Um, so there's two points, subpoints that combat that, right? The first of which is the difference between 30 years in financial planning and infinity is not very large, just because the way the math works, right? If you were to take uh, a mortgage, for example, and you extend that payment, you know, go from a 30-year to a thousand-year mortgage, your your payment doesn't really in- decrease by that much. It's almost exactly the same because you're paying almost all. Uh, interest in the first series of payments anyways, right? So that's number one. So, but yes, infinity is different than 30 years. So you do have a small number of cases where the 4% rule may not work uh, for folks uh, in, 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 in a longer time period, right? And so from that, you, you go back and you say, hey, well, the 4% rule assumes that you have no cash reserve. It assumes you have no other assets or income stream. It assumes that you spend like a robot no matter what, at 4% of your portfolio each year, right? It, it, it makes all these absurd assumptions that if you're a practical, reasonable human being, you're going to be able to easily avoid. So one, one more second here. I'm almost done on my rant because I, I hate, I, I love and hate this question because <laughs> it shows the ignorance of this field. So all of that aside, the 4% rule is a perfectly appropriate rule of thumb that is not going away and is immensely conservative and designed for exactly the situation that we're in. But even still, Nobody, I know I have never met, never met in all the people I've interviewed, all the people I've talked to, all the time I've spent in this as part of this movement, I've never met a person who has retired with just their assets at the 4% rule with a 50-50 stock bond portfolio, no cash, and no other streams of income. Every single, other per, every single person has an ace in the hole. They have an extra set of income. They have a big cash buffer, or they're far more conservative than the 4% rule. So that was my answer to that. <laughs> I, 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 I can tell that's the first time you've ever gotten any question yeah. like that. Just totally right. off the fly answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, that was, that, man, um, that was great. And uh, yeah, I don't. I have harder questions. I have harder questions. Hang on. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah. Give, give, me, give me some real ones now. Yeah. All right, Scott. So I made, I made a few questions that I wanted to ask of you. And I had in mind, do you remember when we met? at uh in denver and you called me a fraud do you remember that 
That's right. Yes. Okay, so with that in mind, I have some questions for you. <laughs> I don't know what this question is now. So now I'm. Uh, uh, <laughs> he, so, he, I, I, here's the context of that, by the way. Right. I said, <laughs> I said, this is a guy who in the first, you know, first impression kind of always has this like vibrant. You're not wearing pink today. I don't know what's going on with that's, you. He's wearing my brand hair, our yeah. brand. I don't know what he does anymore. He's stealing it. You're going after you. You're like you have a Facebook post about my Asian work wife. All these inside jokes that seem at the surface very inappropriate. And then you like you talk to you, you talk to Alex, and you're like, this guy's really nice, genuine, awesome, fun individual who's a great friend. So that's why I called him a fraud. Is because well, first first glances me. can be deceiving there. So. <laughs> well. Well, now I'm just going to sound like a jerk by asking you these incredibly <laughs> difficult questions. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, oh actually, these aren't difficult questions, but they are. Uh, you know, this is a military uh, member-related uh, show, and so I wanted to kind of ask you, or maybe steer the the idea of the conversation towards that way. So, um, when are we going to get a? If we don't already have one, when are we going to get a discount for military members on BP? Ooh, interesting. Um, you know, maybe, maybe soon. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly. That brings me to my next question. Team. <laughs> so that brings me to my next question. Does oh, Bigger Pockets have an official liaison for military members? And if they don't, can David Perret run it? <laughs> wow, these are these are tough questions. You're, you weren't kidding. Um, let me let me get back to you on that one. That one as well. <laughs> okay. okay. So now I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that, and this one this one may fall same vein. You may have no idea, but I'm curious. Uh, do you guys break any data down as far as the military segment of BP? Like, would you have any data? Because I'm curious. I would, I would argue that I think the military is one of, if not the best job for investing in real estate, especially in a time like this, where if the market actually does tank, we're one of the most solid jobs out there as far as theoretically, I would say theoretically keeping your job, but the reality is that they just said, we're not letting you leave even if you want to. Um, so, it's not a complete stop loss, but they're threatening to bring people who got off in the, or got out of the military in the last year back. So I'd say it's pretty secure. Um, but, you know, we have a housing allowance and stuff. So if for whatever reason, like I texted my landlord yesterday and was like, don't worry, you, you got my rent forever. Like, I'm not going to not get my rent allowance. So you're good. Um, which affords a lot of opportunities. I have a huge buffer if something goes south. So I'm just curious if, if BP's ever done any math to kind of pull the military segment out. I, I don't know why they would, but it'd be cool to see some of that data as far as uh, like different occupations for investing. No, I, I, I have not pulled the community, but I would be surprised if it doesn't reflect basically the military's involvement as a, as a member of the general population in, ge like in general. Our, our demographics really don't follow any um, like job or, or demographic trends other than the, where the population goes, right? Our users do tend to skew in the higher end towards that income range, like fifty dollars to $200,000 a year in income is pretty typical among, amongst our community. And we do skew heavily male, which I would bet the military does without knowing anything else. Um, so I, I suppose that there probably is a good, good representation for, of military members in, in the community. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. We certainly have a lot of anecdotal stuff on there. We've had a lot of uh, active duty members or, or former military folks uh, on the podcasts and around stuff. And we, we get continuous pressure to, to release a book on investing in in real estate in the military. I, I yeah. may or may not have pitched that like <laughs> three or four times. <laughs> well, here's so here's here's the reason we haven't done that yet, right? We we love the idea. We love serving that audience. We're just not sure how much different the investing in the military. You know, hey, we write a book on real estate investing. Which parts of that do not apply then to a military? Uh, oh, that's a good audience. point. So that yeah. that was that was really the reason why we were kind of like, hey. It all applies. The advantages you have in military, of course, are steady, very stable income, low down payment, VA, VA uh, financing options, and you're stationed uh, often in, in some really good cash flow markets. You have the chance to be stationed in a handful of good cash flow markets at your service. So those are some big advantages, but wasn't sure how to parlay that into a full feature length book, basically. No, I, yeah, and I, I agree. I'm still going to keep you know, no, with different <laughs> variations of the same idea until you tell me I'm insane. But, uh, but no, I agree. In fact, I've actually gone a slightly different direction in the book that I'm working on for myself right now. So, uh, more more military career and lifestyle focus than just real estate, but with real estate in there as well. Just because I, I think there's, yeah, I guess sim- similar train of thought. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's interesting when you say it like that, it makes really simple sense. Um, and I wonder actually for military members, if the advice that in my experience, in military, the advice, the investing advice that most military members need, especially young ones, isn't what to do as much as it is what not to do. And so military members uh, shoot themselves in the foot with financial decisions far more than like you have the stability. And so what they end up doing is uh, they waste it because they're like, I got a paycheck in two weeks. I can literally live a hundred percent of my income as debt or, or, uh, you know, superficial expenses, knowing that there's almost no way to get fired from this. Um, if you run out of money, the chow hall is still free. So you still got food. You still got room. Yeah. Well, wait, you know, I, I actually had the, the chance to go to the Naval Academy, um, in 2018 and speak to the midshipmen about financial planning and like basically how to, how to pursue fire, uh, from, from a standing start in the Academy. And, you know, you don't, you, there's a saying called spit spending like a sailor, right? And that's the problem that a lot of military folks run into is they go on, you know, you, you, you have this free education, right? And, or it's even, it's actually, you get, a, you get a stipend. So they get paid while they're in, in college, basically at the academy. And then they get a, a career starter loan, right? Well, what happens is most, a lot of the, not a lot most, but some of the, the the students will go, they'll blow all the stipend and then they'll use the career starter loan to purchase really nice Xbox and gaming lair along with their pickup truck and whatever else it is, right? Yep. Then when they get, when they go, go into duty stations or even get deployed, they'll um, rack up a ton of pay and spend that all at once when they come back. And it's like, well, there's some, you can still have fun. You can still reserve a good portion of that. But as long as you're just pretty reasonable with this and have a plan, there's no reason you can't come out of a five, six, seven year military career, uh, with a completely free education and a number of cash flowing assets in both stocks and real estate. So, so the only, the main difference between what you said and the, uh, commissioned financial mistakes and what we enlisted guys do is that we have a 
instead of the career starter loan at the three point whatever percent interest, we tend to think that the higher the interest rate, the faster the Mustang actually drives. So that seems to be kind of a trend. It's like, oh, well, mine's got 23% interest under the hood. What do you, um, that's, that's unfortunately right. kind of a trend. Uh, and then we also do this thing called tattoos and terribly planned marriages. Um, and those, those seem to be much more of an enlisted thing than an officer thing. So those are. Were we just saying how military members have a higher propensity, or supposedly have a higher propensity to do well in investing? I said, I said by these opportunity, metrics? <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> it's it's it's. Don't confuse the equal opportunity with the equal results. All right, look. <laughs> hey Scott, let me ask you a question about waking up early. Recently, I think a week ago or so, I heard something you saying. This is a, this this is near and dear to me because I. Uh, I'm known to criticize the miracle morning, uh, especially coming out of the military, right? Like, oh, really? Wake up early. Who knew? Except every farmer since the agricultural revolution 12,000 years ago. Wake up early. Get stuff done. Who knew? And so I heard that you maybe feel a similar way about this. Because is that, is that correct? I heard you railing about waking I up early. may or may not have told him about no, your I, I, very insightful article I read. I hate getting up early. And I, I can't stand people who, who say, hey, you have to get up early to be successful. Although, okay, good. Okay, good. No, no, hang on. Okay, good, good. Uh, in, in a completely unrelated news, <laughs> a completely unrelated topic, who's the keynote speaker for BPCon? Uh, oh, hello, Rod. And for those yeah, of you listening who yeah. who did not put that together, Hal Elrod is the author of The Miracle Morning. I don't, I don't choose the speaker lineup. I, I love Hal Elrod. I think he's got some great things to say, right? I think, like, here's how I look at it. If you want to be successful, you got to do a number of things, right? You got to spend less than you, than you make, right? You've got to read. You've got to network. You know, you've got to exercise. Get up early, whatever it is, right? It's pick, pick 10 of the 15 things that you got to do. And you could ignore the other five, right? So there's plenty of people out there who are wealthy, uh, successful, helping lots of people who are very unhealthy, right? Just, you know, fat, out of shape, whatever, right? You don't have to exercise or eat healthy, but they all, these things all tend towards success. So I certainly don't disagree that waking up early and getting your whole day knocked up before, knock, knocked up, knocked out <laughs> before everything else, oh, whoopsies, yeah, uh, is, is, a, uh, is a good way to go, is a good way to, to be successful. but you know, saying that you have to do it is absurd and you don't have to do it. And I don't do it. Um, and that works for me. I, I will tell you as the guy whose alarm went well, when I'm not quarantined and working 24 on 48 off when I'm working a normal routine, uh, my alarm, my first alarm goes off at three fifty five every day. And it's not because I want to be up at four in the morning. It's because if I'm not up, then I don't have a chance to get anything done before I go to my day job. And I look forward to the day when that's not a requirement. And I may still wake up early. I mean, I probably will, but it won't be, it won't be four in the morning every day. It'll be, you know, I don't know, six, whatever time it takes to get up and get my life moving before I drop kids off somewhere and then go to the gym. Are um, you going to really enjoy BP con? Yeah. Well, so <laughs> we got a speaker for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure, well, it's a good thing Alex is going to have to photogra <clears throat> photograph the thing, so he'll be real up close and personal. Um, I am really excited about BPCon, um, and I just like teasing you. That's all. Oh, I'm very excited as well. I, I, I think it's going to be great, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Robert speaks. So I, I love everything about the guy. I am curious on the BPCon, and I don't know if this is something we're allowed to ask, but do you foresee everything still going as planned? You know, we're, we're continuing to, uh, um, to plan it out. I, you know, if, if 
BPCon has to get postponed. Uh, I was I, I am planning on getting married shortly after BPCon and weeks following. So, you know, I've I'm hoping that the economy and travel and all that stuff opens back up, and I'm optimistic. Um, so, yeah, for now, we're still continuing to proceed as planned. Good. Yeah, you guys are like at that right time zone too, where it seems like it's October. My my feeling of the world is that will be in some sort of normal. Look, it's right before the election, so I'm pretty sure things are going to be back to normal by then. Ah, there you go. Know, yeah, I don't know about normal, but but well, some be- level of better. Normal. better for I'm planning sure. to show up and be done. Yeah, the world, the, uh, the conferences aren't going to stop forever. It's not yeah. like air travel. Yeah. Basic, basic yeah. air travel resume. So yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. So I, I concur, and I'm glad that you guys are planning accordingly. Scott, every time I talk to you, I have a thing where I feel like I, I it's my responsibility to try to get a scoop, some mm-hmm. gossip, some BP, um, future, something that you know maybe not everybody knows or maybe you saved it just for me. So I'm trying that again. Is there something you can tell us, some scoop about BP that you're excited about that maybe you haven't released so you want us um, to so, really plug some of our very latest and greatest, well, latest I, products? I knew you'd oh, be man. here plugging. Fine, but. fine. <laughs> you know, Can you give me only only because you asked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I think the biggest and most exciting thing maybe that we're working on right now is uh, a new sub-brand called BP Insights. So our v- VP of Growth and Analytics, his name is Dave Meyer, outstanding guy. I've worked with him for five or six years now. Um, he is taking two massive, massive databases, one with rental data for every property in the country, and then one with property data for every property in the country, right? And merging those together so that we can do, we, we, we are hoping to be able to do rents really, really, really well. And the idea was, we were, we've been working on this for months, was to really build a suite of products that would help kind of be, be just part of that pro membership. Um, that we have and, and allow you to kind of really estimate, make sure you're re- managing your property to the correct rents, those types of things. Um, but what it's allowing us to do is in real time track national rent averages and rents in very individual markets. And we're, we're able to release that last week to our pro members so that people can see, hey, what are rents, what are ha- what's happening in rents market by market? And there's some really interesting and at least this week, you know, fairly grim projections going on there where, you know, Hey, rents haven't fallen, but that's because active listings are not changing, but all of the lower priced active listings are coming off the market while the higher priced ones are sitting there. So we're starting to see some really scary lead indicators that would indicate that rents are going to decline in a lot of different markets. Um, anyways, we think this is a really going to be a, a very useful tool for a lot of people um, as we're looking to kind of figure out how to ride the future here uh, in the short and medium term with coronavirus. It's actually really cool. So almost like a BP rent- insights, yeah. <laughs> like a rentometer uh, competitor type thing. Uh, sure, there's going to be there's certainly be some similarities with with that with, with rentometer, but I think it will be more more holistically merging of the merging of these two data sets and understanding how to manage portfolio. You know, all the different data that comes with that, including rents, um, vacancies, uh, what what rehabs might do to property values is an ultimate. Um, derivative product that we'll have from there that would be months down the road those kinds of things that's actually really cool yeah so we're I looking forward to it. yeah and part of the, part of the problem that a lot of um, these companies have had with data um and i, I i'm saying this as, as if i know but i'm just guessing but it, you obviously know better than me but it seems like the big problem that um these companies have is it's hard to it's very easy to generalize and very hard to get specific especially because re- real estate is so uh regional 
And so I love the idea. You guys have, I mean, so much data on the investment side. So I really like this idea to see if we can kind of conquer the, some, some of those difficulties. Well, I think the power of, of de- data is, is in conjunction with the power of opinion, right? So what's, I think what would be really cool if, as we evolve this product is, hey, here's what the data says, and here's what 10 investors in that local market have to say about it. Right. So, you know, as we build this thing, some of our data is going to be wrong. Right. It's just, you just, you know, the numbers might be too small in a local area and they won't make any sense because we're generalizing with the, the rich area next door with the poor area, you know, and merging into an average doesn't make sense for either. Right. But our local investors in the forums will comment on that and tell us. And that will help us, I think, really build a, a, a really more practically useful and valuable data set over time and help people avoid mistakes where they're not just relying on opinion or just relying on numbers. They will rely on both. Well, you guys published a, an email. Uh, it might've been today. It might've been yesterday that I got it. Uh, I, I don't know. I was on duty, but um, that was talking about like kind of current market stats as far as like where the economy is and stuff. <clears throat> and I, I can't remember. I, I feel I felt like I'd answered some of those questions. So it kind of looked like maybe it was the rec- like some of the data was pulled from a, a yes. poll that you guys did. And I was thinking as I was reading it, I was like, man, this is brilliant because you guys have the single biggest like aside from you know, I mean, obviously the census isn't going to do it, but like there's not really anyone out there who has a bigger audience to poll in regards to real estate from an investor standpoint. And I think that guy that opens you guys up with a lot of really cool opportunities to collect data opinionated or, or boots on the ground that, that just data itself wouldn't be able to collect. Yeah. I, I, you know, one, one of my favorite examples of this is LL, the LLC question, right? You know, everyone's got an opinion on whether they should use an LLC in the rental property, right? So what's the right answer? Well, I think the right answer is we pull our community and there's a nice, beautiful pie chart, right? 40% use an LLC, 40% do not use an LLC, 15% use LLC on some properties and not others. And then 5% uh, gave us really wacko answers, right? And so, okay, great. That's the answer, right? Is, is smart people are using them at all different points and there is no right answer. And all those people pulled have reasons for doing it one way or the other. So, but you know, that's the type of thing that I think we can do with, with this data as well as just get the opinion and the, the data. Yeah. That assumes that hundred uh, percent of the people you asked know what they're talking about. But you know what the 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 crowd uh, can definitely be completely wrong, which is why you need the crowd's opinion and and the polling there and the numbers. <laughs> yeah, so. I love that question too because it's such a um, and people do ask it that way. Like, what's the correct answer? And you know, well, the whole world is like this, right? It's like all gray. There's very few absolutes in the world, and so people go, "What's the right answer?" And I always say, "I'm like, well." What exactly specifically are you doing and what do you have and what do you, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? And so it's a very difficult, I like that question too, though. Should you get an LLC? Well, it's just remarkable how many people, when they're just getting started out, can't answer the question, what do you want? Right. And if you don't know what you want, you can't answer any of those downstream questions. Yeah. My favorite is when you see a post, it's just like, Hey, this is who I am. Where should I start? Like, uh, yeah, please, if you're listening, do not come onto the bigger pockets forums and tell everyone that you have $200,000 in cash and no plan, <laughs> right? That is not, that is not a good strategy for I any got a great investment you know, for you. Guaranteed we, we like to, 3% yeah. interest, only six points down with my name on it. 
And, and you're probably offering a better one than the guy who's offering the complete scam. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash militarymillionaire. Now, why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. I listen to Audible every single day on my commute to and from work. Now, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash militarymillionaire. All right, Scott, another hard question. All right. Um, this is actually a, this is a question I worry about. Do you think... Uh, how bad is this going to be on BP? You know, no rents for 30, 60 days. Do you think there's any long-term ramifications that my worry is that the rental market will not go back to normal for a very long time. You're starting to see an increase in tenant versus landlord ideology show up on the internet. Um, these rent strikes and all these other things. And then for the last few months, there's been a lot of talk in the political debate about nationalized or statewide rent controls. And so I, I'm starting to worry that rentals will not be as lucrative going forward um, as in the past. Do you have any of those, do you share any of those worries? And do you think that part of the user base of BP, and I'm sure that's, I mean, it's probably obvious, right? Part of the user base was from BP was because, well, the economy has been so hot um, for the last 10 years. And so the economy, every economy is up, every industry is up, right? So are you, too, are you, look, I can already tell you have your answer ready for me, smirking. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I got a lot of questions. I get, I get this question a lot. So I'm sure you do. I'm sorry. Last couple of days. So I, I know I like it. So by hard um, question, we meant, do you like peanut butter or jelly? That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Overrated. Anyway. You don't like peanut okay. You guys are both not my friends. Anymore. <laughs> um, so, so you, the question is, is basically is what's going to happen to real estate investors, the mom, mom and pop little, little guys over the long term, right? Well, BP's primarily made up of beginners. Yeah, I would say I would say we were about 50 55% newbies and 45% folks 40 45% that uh that own property of some type. Uh maybe 40% and then 5% vendors like agents and lenders who are looking to serve that audience. So um but, you know okay, let, let's 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 take a step back here. This is the, the the economy is shutting down, so I don't know how to specifically how specifically the coronavirus situation will play out, right? But in a recession in general, right, people lose jobs, asset prices go down, and it's not it's it's about it becomes a relative game, right? Who wins in a recession as an investor? Well, the long term buy and hold investor who plays the game for the very long term and experiences long term appreciation of their stock or real estate or whatever other investments, right? Or the guy who put everything into cash and then buys low, right? Which is, you know, been time and again discussed as a completely impossible endeavor. Like nobody was predicting the coronavirus was about to happen and selling off their assets. Maybe a few people, but, you know, I, I've, I haven't heard very many yet, right? So you, you look at that and you say, okay, great. In, in a recession, all asset prices decline. What, is real estate going to get hit harder or less hard than stocks or alternative investments that people are purchasing? Right? You know, you go. You, what are you going to do? You invest in bonds. Well, bonds are at historic rate, all-time low rates, and they just went lower. So it was a good investment to invest in bonds recently, right? But who would have predicted that? The stock market dropped thirty percent. Um, between you know middle and end of March, real estate prices haven't moved much, 
right? And that's, I think, in, in a lot of markets, and that's largely because it's been such a hot seller's market and there's been so much competition for those properties that it hasn't caught up yet. So maybe you're starting to see the equivalent of prices dropping in the sense that people, instead of having 10 offers on a property, you're getting one or two, right? But that's not going to move the needle for prices. Things might sit a little bit longer. You're also entering buying season when there's going to be more inventory changing hands anyways. So it's kind of hard to tell, but I think one thing that is certain is that real estate uh, prices and rent reductions will lag behind stocks. So you have this and you have, hey, is it going to eventually end up worse or eventually end up better? I don't know. But for the most part, real estate tends to, to not be as volatile as the stock market, not increase as rapidly, not decrease as rapidly. So you wonder if there's a long-term haven there for folks who are looking to diversify and have multiple investments in multiple things. So that's one. On the, t- on the topic of tenants not paying rent in general, this, I think, is really overblown right now, right? Yes, a lot of, in, in order for a tenant to run out of money, right, the, a typical person here, first you have a job. Most people are still employed. Most people are still employed. Only 6 million people have filed for unemployment in the last couple of weeks. That's right. But that's still only like 10% of the workforce, right? So most of the workforce is still employed, right? Second, most people, when they get laid off, receive a severance, either some sort of severance or are paid out their PTO right? Or other types of benefits at that point. Third, the government is expanding unemployment benefits. So everyone, all these people are uh, uh, eligible for unemployment. After that, everyone's getting a bailout check. From there, landlords have a security deposit, right? So if you want to rent, if you're going to rent strike, right, as a tenant, you have to be kind of crazy, in order to want to, to, to play that game of chicken with your landlord. Your landlord is likely better capitalized than you if you are considering a rent strike, right? They probably have more, most landlords have some form of reserves, at least the ones that have bigger pockets that we, we hope so. Yeah. <laughs> most more than of them a month worth, one month. Yeah. <laughs> no, over 75% say they have over at least three months, right? Over 60% okay. say they have at least six months. So, okay. um, you know, so your landlord is probably better capitalized than you, right? Second, you have to have the rent strike go on for more than a month because if you don't have it go on for more than a month, the landlord's going to kick you out and take your security deposit. So you're not going to even get a cash advantage from your rent strike in that situation, right? And then third, the penalty for rent striking, right, in the, in the end, if you lose, is the landlord will accrue late fees and back rent, evict, sue, and bankrupt you, which will make it very difficult for you to pay rent or to, to find a place going forward and get a lot of ac- options in life. So I, I really don't see that as a likely reality. And, you know, here we are on April 2nd recording this. Um, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how, how smart or dumb I look in, in the coming weeks, but we're not seeing the horror stories yet from, from a, 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 in, in, in a, in a widespread sense, we're getting a couple of sensational ones here and there, but I think it, look, even if the tenants win, Right, even if they all band together, like there's a Reddit Reddit horror story of a 32 unit apartment building where the, all the tenants are not paying the landlord. Great, maybe maybe they'll win in the sense that they'll ruin this landlord. That landlord or his successor is going to then sue each and every one of them, bankrupt each and every one of them, right? If if that's there, and they're all gonna they're all gonna go down together. So it's not really a, a victory in the end either. So I, I think for those reasons, it's going to be unlikely you're going to see widespread rent strikes without at least government involvement. And that was yeah. Uh, and like you said, like uh, if, if they if they rent strike, and again, I'm just kind of asking these questions to poke more than I don't. Yeah. I'm not actually that worried. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if my tenants all 
struck and they didn't they didn't pay May, like I'll pay my rent, my mortgages and keep moving on. But by June, they got jobs again, most likely. So uh, I'm not too worried about it in a grand scheme, but I was just curious if you had, um, if BP had, have you felt it in terms of pro memberships by, by chance? I mean, can I ask that? You know, so our, our business seems to be doing pretty good right now. Um, we, we're, we're not seeing really much of a decline in like sales for any of our about like books or pro memberships or anything like that at all. So we're just kind of chugging along exactly as we've been. Recession-proof real estate must be up. <laughs> Recession-proof I'm, real estate is seeing a little bit of a spike. Yes. I'm, I'm so. reading it or listening to it right now. Yeah, it's uh, a pretty good read. So I wanted to hit something real quick because you mentioned the market and you know, it's kind of strange. So you my first thought from the very beginning on this was that the, the only way this affects the real estate market is if it goes on long enough because like it's more of a time issue than anything else was my first thought. But I've seen some really strange things this week that have kind of confused my thoughts. And, and it's not like a bad thing. What it is is I'm seeing panic selling in the market. So I have seen like last night I'm cruising through you know MLS listings, nothing crazy. I mean, there was definitely some stuff on Craigslist, but MLS listings. And for a prime example, the first property I ever bought was a 2-1, 900-square-foot duplex for 81000 in Missouri. The street next door, the street right across from it right now, there's a duplex that just came on the market for 92 for a 2-1 that has garages for each unit and is 200 square feet larger for each side, which should, my duplex just appraised for like 115 120 and they listed it at 92 and I call them up, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're just trying to get rid of it. And I'm like, hmm. All right. Well, that's kind of interesting. Like to list, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars under an easy appraisal in good condition in a decent side of the town. Like, all right, whatever. And I like, okay, maybe it's a fluke. I've seen apartments coming back on the market at two percent cap rates or two, you know, two caps higher than they were a month ago. I'm seeing like a lot of people from what I'm noticing, it seems like either landlords that are really worried about what's gonna happen or people who were planning on getting out from under a property soon and are realizing like if I don't get this thing offloaded right now, then I'm going to have to hold it through a recession. And I wasn't planning on that, whether that's because they were retiring soon or, or they were just, that was kind of their, their game was like a five-year exit. And I'm kind of curious, like, as I'm trying to think this through now is like, man, I was thinking the game was going to be dependent on how long this lasts. But the reality is that people might kind of start driving prices down just by trying to offload properties in shorter days on market. And it's kind of a strange, like I didn't foresee that coming, but I mean, there's probably 10 or 15 listings that popped up in the last 48 hours in my market that are well under value and mm -hmm. pretty solid property. So I'm like, mm, do I jump on that? Cause I know it's a deal or do I, you know, so I'm like, do I 65% offer on that? Cause I know they're hurting and that's what, so it's kind of a strange, kind of threw me for a loop last night. I was like, man, this is like, <laughs> I'll, I'll say that you're the first person I've talked to that's kind of said that they're noticing that kind of stuff. So maybe I just haven't been paying quite enough attention to the, the real estate prices of, of the assets themselves recently uh, in a lot of markets. So I, I have not personally noticed that, but I'm certainly going to leave this, this podcast uh, and go check that out for myself. Let it be known that I could just be an idiot. So no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think the, there's going to be difference. There's definitely going to be a lot more um, market specific um, changes, I think. So some markets are going to be affected differently than others. Like if you own a place in New York City right now, it's probably in a lot different condition or selling situation than if you own one where, you know, there's been no news at all. Like nobody, I haven't noticed anything here where I live, but we're so far removed. So I think probably if you're in New York or LA, it's much different. 
uh, I don't know about uh, where are you at right now. Can't, are you in Missouri? Oh, nobody well, cares about Missouri. Yeah, but, but I mean, so the difference between the Missouri market and your market is that they're very similar in a lot of ways, but I'm not next to a military installation. So I think that might be helping you out because they know a lot of people know their tenants are still going to pay rent. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no military tenants and it appears that all of them have at least begun processing their payments. Um, you know, it's an online payment, so you, know, you got the three eight day H ACH there. But uh, we'll see if they all. You're also, in, you're also in one of the hottest markets in the United States. Um, and so, to your original point about the seller's market, um, I, I just don't. I think you're 100 right. Like that's not going to stop people. The demand is not. I don't believe going to change. So, and interest rates are going to stay low for mortgages. So, people's buying power hasn't changed that much unless you lost your job. But how many people who work at a restaurant can afford a $450,000 house in Denver, anyways? You know, so actually that makes, that makes me curious if we're going to see a further dis, uh, uh, separation in inequality from like, what's the average home price in Denver? It's obscene. Uh, it's probably in the fours. Yeah. Yeah. It's so pretty high. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you need to have a, a decent income to do that. So I wonder if now you're going to see in the market where lower priced homes, lower priced areas where you live, where you work on like a service-based economy, um, you know, you see the effects there more than the people who they kept their job, they have a high paying job and they're buying expensive houses. But, but, but that's the thing is like, because of the stimulus package and unemployment, you know, that, that time game, you're not going to even see that playing out for a couple of months, it seems right. Because, you know, all, all, all these folks, Hey, I lost my job and I'm in the services industry. Well, with given the, the 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 stimulus package, a lot of those folks are going to be making us a very similar amount of money going forward, right? And you know, like people are all ragging on each other in this, right? We just came out of the recession ten years ago, right? One of the worst economic periods in this country's history, right? It wasn't it wasn't the Great Depression, but it was pretty bad, right? I just like I just have a lot of trouble believing that all these individuals are so poorly capitalized across the board. Maybe that's just me being, you know, particularly optimist. opti- optimistic here, but I, I really feel like, you know, like people are not sitting there with no cash leveraged to the hilt, knowing that that's exactly what, what crushed everyone last time. I can certainly believe there's a lot of people who have no, no savings whatsoever who are losing their jobs, but they're going to get, they're getting the ones. That's what unemployment net, the safety net is there is for. I was to help those folks make, make rent payments. So far, Scott, you are no fun to speculate with. You know that? So, yeah. <laughs> Why? Cause I'm not gloom and gloom, gloom and doom yet. <laughs> so, so far the worst thing that's happened to me in all of this. And, and, and to be fair, I haven't, my property manager hasn't texted me yet with the final tally for who paid rent, but we're looking good so far where she would have called me today and gone, Oh my God, you're screwed. But, uh, so far, the worst thing that's happened to me through all of this is that I was, you know, two weeks away from an eviction that we'd been going through and they put the moratorium on evictions on. So I got this guy, uh, Alex has heard me say this. So I'm, he's in my 10 unit and I can't evict him till at least April 30th. Probably it'll probably get moved. But as of right now, April 30th and we were, you know, he hasn't paid, didn't pay January, didn't pay February. Like there's a reason he was getting evicted. So now I got this guy who hasn't paid rent in three months. It'll go four months, maybe, maybe five. And he's living amongst my other tenants. So my, my, so far, my worst problem is just that I can't get rid of someone who wasn't paying before this happened. So it's not like, Oh yeah, man, he had a rough existence with the coronavirus. It's like, Oh no, you were a schmuck and you lucked out. So my biggest fear at this point is just that he talks to all my tenants and I have some kind of bad, like 
you know, oh, well, Jimmy's not paying rent. And he, they can't get rid of him. But I got a, I got a behavior issue as well that I cannot deal with until all this is over. So, yeah. 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 It's, that's yeah, like so the I, part so far. I, it's fun to ask all these doom and gloom questions. I thought you'd be more, uh, I, th- I thought you'd be a little play- more playful with me about them. But I, to be fair, to be fair, uh, the last two weeks I was sort of doom and gloom. And then I think my contrarian nature, right? Like everybody has kind of went from, oh, I won't be that bad to now they all seem like it's the end of the world. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, eh, it's not gonna be that bad. I'm actually feeling more optimistic than ever. Um, in fact, just before I rec- before this, I recorded a little video, like the world's not going to end kind of thing. And uh, so, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I agree with you that we just came out of 2008. Everybody has their little, I call it PTSD of 2008, where they're like, what happened last time? People are over leveraged and undercapitalized. Like, let's make sure we don't make that mistake again. Now, we certainly couldn't predict everything. We didn't predict a virus uh, epidemic, but we did predict like, hey, look, don't be over leveraged and undercapitalized and, you know, and with under equity. And so I tend to agree that the my hope is and what it looks like, what's most likely is that there'll be a little blip in, hey, you're going to miss some rents. Hey, you're going to have some problem tenants, but for the most part, it was 60 days of inconvenience. Yeah. Who cares? The game is holding it for 30, 40, 50 years. Nobody, nobody is risking their credit and long-term ability to get access to housing, except for truly desperate people um, in, in, the concept, in the context of a rent strike, right? And then the other broad thing is, you know, I'm sorry I'm not being playful enough here, Alex, but you know, the other thing is when, when people can't pay, like, hey, someone did lose their job and had a big stroke of bad luck all at once in conjunction with coronavirus, they reach out to the landlord. The landlord is, of course, going to work with that person because we're all human beings in this, right? It's not like, oh, no, no matter what, it's due. It's usually, if that's, if that's the response that some, a landlord is giving, in my experience, that's because that tenant has a long history of, of trying to take little edges and advantages here and there over time. Now, of course, a couple of nasty landlords are going to make everybody else look bad and they're going to make some headlines in this, but I don't, yeah, I, just, I see common sense prevailing here. I just recommended to someone on BP uh, on a forum, like, eh, if I was you, I wouldn't want to be the guy, uh, I won't go into the situation, but I was like, if I was you, I wouldn't want to be the guy with that headline in the newspaper as a landlord. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it is definitely time to be careful with how you, you know, just, you don't want to become, uh, like I said, you don't want to be on a huff post. Uh, but with that said, Scott, and I tend to agree with you, even though I'm trying to bait you into being doom and gloom, I tend to agree with you that, um, that, uh, the world will be, will be fine, especially in real estate. So, uh, is now a best of time of any for people who are looking at the market going, Hey, look, uh, I've been screwing around, but now that I see all this, like now is the time to either a capitalize on opportunity or b like like maybe basically get started on what how can I capitalize on the chaos? So is now the best time, as good a time as any, to start learning real estate? Well, if you're seeing what David was seeing with prices fluctuating all over the place in your market that are crazy and and don't make any sense given your your deep understanding of the market, maybe so. Um, because I had not been seeing that or or really was aware of that prior to this call, um, I, I've I've been thinking that pretty much most newbies are going to chill out for a couple of months and watch and wait, analyze a lot of deals and kind of learn what's going on there. Uh, not because, I, you know, I think well-capitalized investors who have done this for a while are going to pounce on the great deals as they materialize because we're in it for 20, 30 years and you're going to go after that. So there'll still be some activity. I just, I imagine that in, in, in reality, a new person is going to have a little trouble making a very, very large, maybe the largest financial transaction in their life in this period when there's a lot of volatility and uncertainty. That's just the reality I, I kind of think will will transpire there. 
I think the fear will probably play a role for him. We lowballed. Yeah. Uh, we need a new office building. My, me and my team. Uh, we were six of us running out of 108 square foot. Somehow that that happens, and so we're like, we need a new office building, and we've been thinking about we were gonna who's gonna rent one. I told my partner, let's just buy something. So the last few months we've been looking to buy something. That, that's, and then that's smaller than this room. It's awful. It's yeah, horrible. And it's with Alex too. Do you have AC? <laughs> Uh, I haven't worked during the summer yet. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they do. So, so uh, it stays warm so the, with the body heat during the winter, though. Yeah, good lord. Yeah, I'm a heater. <laughs> so, uh, but the the we, we go we find this building and it's like 300 grand in office building. It's no big deal. And so we lowball them because I didn't want to pay what they were wanted. And they're like, yeah, we're never going to take that. And then they they go into contract the next day, and then coronavirus hits, and a week of that. And they call us up and they said, we'll take your other offer because the first buyers bailed. Now, I don't know the circumstances. It could be completely normal. But I do know that we got that basically 10% under what they wanted um, in a quick hurry because I think there is some sentiment that like, hey, look, the people who, like you said, were on the fence maybe if they're new or maybe whatever the case, they're on the fence and they say, well, look, maybe just now I don't need to do it right now. Maybe I'll just wait 90 days and see what happens. And then the sellers have the exact opposite thing where they're like, somebody just bailed out. Let me sell this thing to somebody. They'll take a 10%. They'll take 90% of what they wanted to sell to me in case, you know, God forbid it gets worse. So I think there is some of that going on there. And I capitalized. I mean, not to say my deal is like, you know, it's not life changing or anything, but it's an office we needed and we got it cheaper because of worry. Yep. Yeah, I, I, and I think you're, 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 you're speaking to a lot of things that, that again, I, maybe I should be paying closer attention because it sounds like these things are happening and maybe in multiple markets around the country where lots of deals are starting to materialize. So maybe I'll, I'll start paying much closer attention to my local market and look for these, these types of similar situations because I would love to get property for 10, 15, 20% uh, discount right now. That's another thing that I'm not that it has worked out yet, but I'm starting to launch uh, like 65, 70% asking price offers for anything that's been on the market for two or three times what it should have been. Cause I'm like, okay, if people are starting to get fearful and this thing's been sitting here for, you know, a hundred days, like, Hey, you wanted a hundred, I'll give you 65. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I see there's, there's opportunities coming. It's just a matter of how and when, but now I'm kind of like questioning myself, like that's a good deal. No, that's a good deal. But if I wait two weeks, it might be a. So I'm like, ah, so I'm like, I'm almost scared yeah, to offer the, problem the full in every asking market. price because yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be buying on the way down. It's still a good deal. But like, anyway, so I to say all that, but I, I did email the commercial broker on both apartment complexes and the uh, realtor for two or three other properties. So it hasn't stopped me yet. But all right. So we've been at this for about an hour. I got to ask you if a 18, 19 year old was to walk up to you asking you for advice uh, for real estate, life, you know, I mean, you, you've got a really good uh, finance and, and just life book. What would you tell them? Wake up early. No, that I would not. Sounds like a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say, uh, I would say work, go all out completely all out in, in, in every way or earn as much as you can, spend as little as you can until you have one year of financial runway. So in, in liquidity, right? So that that means is, hey, if you spend $50,000, you need $50,000 in the bank. If you spend 25,000, that means you have 25,000 in the bank or at least some other similarly liquid form, right? You could, you could even put it in stocks as long as you're willing to spend it. 
Um, if you're, if you're that, you know, ballsy, I guess, to go to do, to put it that, to put it there. So, but whatever it is, if you have a year of financial runway that you have access to, and by the way, the less you spend, the less cash you need in order to accumulate that runway. Um, but that, that sets you up for really big opportunities downstream. That's how you can buy rental property or a house and easily have the down payment. That's how you can have, feel, have confidence to leave your job and go join a startup or start that business or whatever it is, right? That one first year financial runway will make all the next little bits, um, the rest of the journey towards wealth that much easier. That's yeah, that's good. So before, so the next question I always ask is a resource, but before we get into there, I would like to tell you that um, one of my big wins this past year is that in, so I, I had knee surgery in October. So the week before I had knee surgery, I gave one of my Marines, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, cause he was just, they work, uh, we work 24 hour shifts. So he worked the three in the afternoon to midnight shift. And he was just saying like, oh man, I'm so bored all the time. I was like, here, read this book. And I came back from being gone for 30 days for surgery or whatever. And like the entire purple library and bigger pockets library was like just sitting on this kid's desk. And so, and all of a sudden like three or four different people in my office have read a very large majority of the BP books and the rich dad, poor dad books. One of which actually just closed a very large triplex in San Diego that cash flows, which is crazy. Um, really cool deal. So uh, I just wanted to say that I, I am a huge fan of your book and it was super cool to see them reading your book and a bunch of other bigger pockets books and then i mean legitimately putting it all into action uh here and it's just powerful i also wanted to thank you for well, making thank you. me seem like a rock star because today or yesterday i was walking by and one of them was reading your book and i was like oh hey i'm going to interview him on the podcast tomorrow and it was <laughs> so thanks for letting me name drop you to to make my uh make my marine think i was a cool kid but um, you are a rock star, right? Oh, no, but it was just cool. So anyway, I just wanted to say like, it, it's just cool because I love your book um, just because it's different than most personal finance books, which are pretty boring. Um, but it, it just wanted to let you know, like pretty cool to see that it's, I mean, people who generally aren't readers are, are going through you and all the rest of bigger pocket stuff is changing lives. So I'm glad they like it. Thank you. Yeah. Now that being said, uh, without shamelessly plugging your book that, you know, um, I'm going to mention a million times, uh, what is a resource book course, website, whatever that you would recommend to anyone, uh, about finance or real estate or business or, you know, Sure. So I, you know, I, I'll go back to the original here and and cite Mr. Money Mustache. Right. This is the guy who kind of got all this stuff going. Um, you know, I I kind of discovered it around 2012, 2013, um, right after I graduated college. Um, his stuff is just as relevant as ever. And when you go back and read it, you know, I've been going back and reading a little bit of it now. It's just so relevant and so perfectly preparing us for exactly this type of economic environment um, or potentially a big recession if that's what we are diving into. That's good. Yeah. I like, I like his stuff. And uh, last but not least, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me at biggerpockets.com. You can just search in the, in the bar for my name and reach out, send me a PM there. You can email me at scott at biggerpockets.com. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at, at scott underscore trench, or you can check out the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Anywhere podcasts are played. Yeah, at this point, you can just type Scott Trench into Google and ta-da. <laughs> that's, that's cool. So right on. Well, hey, Scott, thanks for uh, giving us some time and your... Uh, 
huge office to talk real estate today. <laughs> yeah, the, the second bedroom. And I still do have that mattress for sale uh, at the end of the episode. So I'll be sure. To you should market it just like that. Like, uh, here's a mattress for sale has been slept on by Scott D. Scott Trench. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure you put like some, some weights in the shape of a body. So it looks like you just... You know, like one of those uh, commercials, like the foam commercials where you like, oh, it leaves an indent. That's trenches imprint on it still. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> the the stale oh. trench is, is what we, we call it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. Have a great one. Let's stop this All recording. Right. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military to millionaire dot com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.